All right, let's turn in our Bibles, shall we, and continue to worship to Revelation chapter 18. Revelation 18, if you need a copy of God's Word, get the attention of the ushers as they come down the aisle. They'll be happy to get one into your hands. We've been studying the book of Revelation for some time now, and we left off a few weeks ago in the middle of a mini-series about the rise and fall of Babylon. Mini-series about the rise and fall of Babylon, the all-pervasive culture that we should expect in the Great Tribulation. And just so you can keep things straight, I've pulled this timeline up that I've shared with you several times before. The Great Tribulation is the time period at the end of the church age, probably seven years, when hard times will fall on the world and persecution on the church. And then Christ will return. He will rapture the saints. He will fight the battle of Armageddon, and he will usher in the millennium, as you can see there. And probably, once again, a, a thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, a time of unprecedented peace and prosperity, followed by the great white throne judgment and the eternal state on a new earth, new heavens and new earth. That's classical premillennialism. And so far, the bulk of our study has focused on the great tribulation, that small period of time yet to come in this church age, the age in which we live. The great tribulation because that's the bulk of Revelation. We've focused the bulk of our time on it because that's where John spends the most of his time on. Chapters 6 to 19 in this last book of the Bible. And toward the end of it, toward the end of the Great Tribulation, as we've found in parts 1 and 2 of the rise and fall of Babylon, toward the end a worldwide culture will arise that John sees as both a great prostitute and a great city. Two metaphors to describe the same phenomenon. Babylon the Great. And so far we found that the great prostitute is Babylon the Great. Both represent a worldwide culture of debauchery, luxury, and persecution. We're going to see that again as we work our way through chapter 18 starting this morning. And we found in part one that the Antichrist will use the prostitute. He will use this culture of debauchery and persecution and so on to influence the world, the entire world. That was part one from chapter 17, verses 1 to 6. Then in part 2, from verses 6 to 18, we found that the combination of power and pleasure will be deadly for believers. Power from the Antichrist and pleasure from the prostitute as they partner together to not only influence the world, but subdue the church, oppress the church, persecute the church. We also found that the Antichrist will rise like Babylon and amaze the world. We've seen that before. We found that the world will pick a fight that they can't win. Praise God for that. And the Antichrist will turn on the prostitute and destroy her toward the very end of the end. He will reject, they will reject, the world will, this culture of debauchery and power and luxury and persecution. So don't be afraid and don't be shocked. Don't be confused from part one. Don't be naive and don't be surprised. And here, don't be afraid and don't be shocked. So many truths 
and warnings to go along with them. All of which then brings us to chapter 18 this morning and part 3. An extended lament, chapter 18 is, over the culture's fall. An entire lament. You might think of it as a funeral dirge, this whole chapter. A lament over the fall of Babylon with more truths and more warnings that apply today just as much as they will later. Hear me on this. More truths and more warnings that apply today just as much as they will later on. In fact, that's why we're spending so much time here. If you've been thinking, or maybe you're thinking right now, for crying out loud, Pastor, why are we spending so much time on the rise and fall of this proverbial Babylon? A, it's because the Apostle John spends so much time on it, no less than two and a half chapters in the book of Revelation. And B, because there are so many applicable parallels to our day. Our day, right now, right now. This isn't just for some future generation or, or maybe for us later on. I don't know when the Lord is going to begin to bring these things about, but it, it's for us now. And I trust that you will take them to heart and the Lord will impress them on your heart and you will apply them in your lives. You follow along with me. Chapter 18, verse 1. We'll take it a few verses at a time. After this, John says, that is, after an angel told him about the culture to come in the great tribulation, chapter 17. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, authority to declare some massive, massive things, as we'll see here shortly. And the earth, he was having great, had a great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory, his splendor, the, the glory of this angel come from heaven made the earth bright, reflecting the glory and splendor of God. I love this. So strong and so intense is the glory of God that even reflected from one of his holy beings, it will light up the entire earth even in the darkness of the great tribulation. Verse 2, and he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Fallen, fallen. We've seen this before, I think back in chapter 14. It was just mentioned. And then in the end of chapter 17, and here this angel with all the authority in the world declares it again. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, affirming what just took place in John's vision at the end of the previous chapter when the Antichrist and the world powers turned on the culture and destroyed it. Having great authority, the angel confirms it. And rightfully so, because she has become, second part of verse 2, she has become this worldwide culture, a dwelling place for demons. Let that sink in for a second. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. A haunt as in a sinful dwelling, a place of desolation where nothing good happens and everything evil inhabits. That's what a haunt is in this context. 
place of desolation where nothing good happens and everything evil inhabits, especially demons. Demons characterized here as unclean spirits, sinful beings. Look at it there, unclean birds, like those who feed on roadkill. Unclean beasts, as in detestable creatures of violence and chaos. Demons run the gambit. They run the gambit of all that is gross and graphic and evil and terrible that we could possibly imagine. And the whole world, the entire culture of the Great Tribulation will be overcome by them. Overcome by the powers of darkness. That's where we're headed. The end times culture of Babylon will be utterly evil. The end times culture of Babylon worldwide will be utterly evil. Those who obsess on all things eschatology, this makes me crazy. Those who obsess on all things eschatology and, and find all these connections and you know, current events, I call it newspaper eschatology, all the rest, like there's, it's just all of this, this worldwide culture that is going to come upon us that we can already see is given such short shrift, it's sometimes not even mentioned at all. And yet the powers of darkness are going to rule and reign in the haunt. That's how bad our world is going to get. Completely evil, thoroughly evil, about as close to hell on earth as it gets. Because that's the result, check it out, that's the result of any unrestrained sin. Any unrestrained sin in our own lives, our, our cities, our homes, you name it, where righteousness is abandoned and sin is allowed, utter evil is the result. Every time where righteousness is abandoned and sin is allowed, evil is the result every single time. Just look at some of our cities right here in these United States. Lax policies on crime and a blind eye towards sin lead to more and more evil every time. More depravity, more decay, more trouble, and more hell. And our cities are just the tip of the iceberg as bad as some of them are. A couple in our church just came back from visiting some missionaries in Bangkok, Thailand, and shared with me just how true that is, that our cities are just the tip of the iceberg. They went to Bangkok, Thailand to minister and come alongside of those who are already there ministering to those who are trapped in prostitution and human trafficking. They were visiting some missionary friends who were involved in that ministry, sharing hope and help to get out of such carnage. And they described a situation so evil, catch this, that in a six-block area of Bangkok, Thailand, where this missionary couple is ministering, in a six-block area, there are no less than 10,000 prostitutes. Just think of your neighborhood for a second. And not just 10,000 people, but 10,000 prostitutes in a six-block area. 
of a city in our world. It was so blatant, the sin they said was so blatant, so oppressive, so heavy, that on one occasion, while the four of them were walking down the street, they said prostitutes would come up to them to their face and solicit them when they were holding hands with their wife right next to them. No hesitation, no shame, no restraint. That's where our entire world is headed. Based on what we find here in Revelation, chapter 17 to the middle of chapter 19, that's exactly where our world is headed in the Great Tribulation. A haunt for every demonic activity that the mind of Satan and the heart of man can imagine. For all nations, this is why I say the whole world, verse 3, for all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. The whole world is going to be evil. Embracing the debauchery and luxury of Babylon without restraint. A haunt for demons and a hotbed of sin. Because that's what happens when God is rejected and righteousness is abandoned. Utter evil. Utter evil. That's the truth from these first verses. Then comes the application for us. The warnings. Verse 4. Then I heard another voice from heaven, John says. This one probably, probably the Lord Jesus Christ because of what follows this other voice. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Remembered her iniquities is the exact opposite of forgiveness. To be forgiven is to have our sins forgotten and no longer held against us. For those who don't repent, it's the exact opposite. God will remember every single one of them. And in the great tribulation, the culture, the worldwide culture's sins will be heaped high as heaven. And Jesus here says, come out of her. Come out of her as in don't take part. That's the point. Come out of her and don't take part. Don't take part in the evil culture. Don't participate in it. Separate yourself from it. Come out and get out. Whatever it takes. Because if you don't, According to the testimony here in verses 4 and 5, if you don't, you might indulge in the sin yourself. You might indulge in the evil of the culture yourself. You might get sucked in and take part in her sins, Jesus says. And in so doing, you'll suffer the same consequences. Second part of the last part of verse 4, share in her plagues. Come out of her lest you share in her plagues. Share in her punishment. Because God's not going to look the other way for unrepentant sin. Nor is he going to forget about the world's sin, verse 5. As it piles up, so do the consequences pile up. God knows and God, God remembers. And so whatever you do, get away and 
stay away, then and now. I saw a video recently, not on social media, but a news feed had this particular story. It was a video of a guy who stood on his porch as a tornado came down his street. Hello. <laughs> Decided he was going to be, you know, famous and video it all and go viral. It went viral. And as the wind picked up, so he's got the house behind him, if you can picture this. His front door is right behind him. And, and part of the house would jut out to his left. So he's kind of in a little corner here of the house. And he's videoing out kind of at this kind of an angle. The wind is coming left to right, my left to right, your right to left. Wind is blowing this way as the, as the tornado is moving down through his neighborhood. He knows it's there because he sees it on the news and he can hear it. And the wind starts picking up. And in the video, you start to see things blowing and, and then the whole garbage cans are like flying through the air down the street and suddenly the camera swirls in like this and you're not sure like what happened but you figured out after a few moments he actually turned his face into the corner of the house because it was so loud and so massive and so terrible about the moment he was thinking I wish I wasn't out here and then after maybe five or ten seconds he slowly turns the camera back around, and I kid you not, every single, he panned the entire street, every single tree on the street was on the ground, including a large one in his front yard that fell about 10 feet from where he was standing. And the porch under which he was, if I remember right, the pole on the porch down here to his right, about 15 feet, was either broken or had blown out. The porch was kind of angling like this. You are really, really dumb if you do something like that. <laughs> But that's what far too many believers do with our culture. I'm certainly guilty. That's what far too many people do far too often with the culture in which we live. They get as close as they possibly can without getting sucked in and blown away. Flirting with disaster and risking their entire eternity. All the while ignoring the clarion call of Jesus to come out of her. Come out of her. Come out of her. Do you hear him? Come out of her. For what partnership has righteousness, righteousness with lawlessness anyway? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? None, none. That's how the Apostle Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 6. Good and evil are like oil and water. Light and darkness. They don't mix. And one will diminish the other every single time. Either the light will dispel the darkness or the darkness will shroud the light. They don't mix. We don't mix. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Come out and don't take part. That's the point. 
Now, does that mean that we should build a commune somewhere out in Montana and hide ourselves away? Some of you are tempted. No. No, it does not mean that. It means we should build a life of faith and stay out of trouble. A life of holiness and stay out of sin. Loved ones, we have no choice but to live in our culture. In fact, this is the very place and the very time in which God has placed us, having marked out our boundaries, Acts 17. You are here because God has purposed that you are here for this time and this reason. And part of that time and part of the reason for it, part of the purpose, is to proclaim the gospel and be salt and light in the midst of an increasingly dark culture. And we should certainly take advantage of all that's good, all that remains of what God has graced us with. But when it comes to sin, we should separate ourselves. Otherwise, we'll end up participating. You know it, and I know it. We'll end up participating, and instead of overcoming the darkness, the darkness will overcome us. Don't go there. And if you already are, get out. Don't take part. Now or later. Because the consequences are grave. The end times culture of Babylon will be utterly evil. Don't take part because the consequences are grave. Look at the second part of verse 4 again. Regarding these consequences, come out of her. This voice says, lest you share in her plagues. Plagues. Lest you share in the consequences of the culture's sin. Sin, once again, that's heaped high as heaven in the great tribulation. And the consequences, check this out, doubled, doubled. Come out of her lest you share in her plagues that are going to be doubled. Look at verse 6. Pay her back, Jesus says, presumably appealing to God the Father. Pay her back. Pay Babylon back as she herself has paid back others, given others her poison. Give her a taste of her own poison, essentially. And repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. Lest you think that's somehow unfair of God, you know, to punish someone or some people or a whole culture, the whole world, double for their sin. Lest you think that that's somehow unfair, consider this. Not only is the sin evil in the culture of the Great Tribulation, but its effect on the world is evil. Like the sin of hatred and its effect on people. It's doubly evil. Or the selfishness of luxury and the neglect of poverty. Doubly evil the hedonism of sex, and the devastation of families. Sin, effect, both evil, doubly so. 
The sin of Babylon is evil, and so is the effect warranting double punishment. Grave consequences. And then the voice continues in verse 7 with even more reasons for this double punishment. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, referring to this culture of Babylon, as she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. In addition to all the other evil, the end times culture is going to be characterized by arrogance, complacency, and self-glorification. That's what we find in these last few verses here. Arrogance, complacency, and self-glorification. Personified here as an evil queen. I sit as a queen, she says. In other words, I'm untouchable. I'm untouchable. I do what I want and I tell others to do the same. I wear the crown and I get the glory. That's the idea. I sit as a queen. It's arrogant self-glorification. That's how the culture is going to be. And I'm certainly no widow, she says. In other words, I have plenty of husbands. I have plenty of suitors. And mourning I shall never see. I mean, what in the world could ever go wrong? Things are great. I've got all the power in the world that I need and that I want. And more is coming every single day as more and more people get on board and indulge. That's the way it has been. And that's the way it's always going to be. Complacency at its worst. None of which is hard to imagine because it's already here, isn't it? It's already on the rise. I'd just as well be describing some of our culture right now. I'm a queen. Things are going to just keep on going the way they always have been. And Jesus says that it warrants a like measure of torment and mourning. Torment and grief. This arrogance and complacency and self-glorification warrants a like measure of torment and mourning. Oh, loved one, whatever you do, get out. Get out. Don't go there. If you're already taking part, stop. Because the end times culture of Babylon will be even worse even worse than what it is now. Its grip will be even tighter than it is now. And if you don't separate yourself, you'll end up taking part and suffering the consequences yourself. Consequences that are grave. Now, that said, you might be so hard of heart as you sit here this morning or listen You might be so hard of heart or so embedded in the culture that you're skeptical. 
Or at the very least, maybe you're rationalizing it as you sit there. Maybe you're rationalizing that the, the dabbling that you do isn't really that bad and you can handle it, you can control it, you, you can take care of it, it's all good. Doesn't impinge on the light within you. Doesn't impinge on your walk with Jesus. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you just flat out don't even believe it. I mean, you don't believe the culture is that bad. You don't believe that it's going to be that bad. You certainly don't believe that the consequences will come. After all, it's revelation. Who really knows? Open to interpretation. If that's you, can I encourage you to consider this? History is clear. History is clear. In other words, it's happened before. All of this that John describes for us, all that I've been saying, has already happened. From the sin and the debauchery of the culture to the consequences because of it. It's already happened. History is clear. In the ancient culture of Babylon. True, the exact same sin followed by the exact same consequences under the exact same name. All of which adds clarity and weight and certainty to what God says right here in Revelation. It's a classic example of, what, uh, of something called biblical typology. Biblical typology. Where something in the past foreshadows something in the future and something in the future draws on something from the past. Biblical typology. And just to give you a snapshot of it, I want you to turn with me to the middle of your Bible to Isaiah 47. Isaiah chapter 47, right about the middle of your Bible. It's a chapter commonly referred to as the humiliation of Babylon. It's not the only chapter, in fact, not the only treatment that Isaiah gives in his prophecy about Babylon in his day. But Isaiah 47 is one of the most concise and clearest. And I want you to see it. Because I want you to understand that history is clear. So that there's no doubt whatsoever in your mind that what happened in the past is most certainly going to happen in the future. God has said so. Isaiah 47 it was prophesied about 725 B.C. And it happened about 200 years later in 516 B.C. What we're going to read here was prophesied ahead of time and has already come about. When the Babylonians were overthrown by the Persians, some ancient history here, and the ancient Israelites were, re were released from their captivity. Their captivity in the midst of their Tribulation, foreshadowing all that's to come. You follow along with me, Isaiah 47, verses 1 to 11. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon, O privileged people of Babylon. That's the idea of virgin daughter, privileged. You, you haven't had to do a thing of work in your life. You haven't had to lift a finger. You've been pampered all of your days. Come and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. Another way of referring to the 
Babylonians, Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind flour, the work of common people. Put off your veil, strip off your robe, uncover your legs, pass through the rivers. In other words, enough with your luxury, you're going to do hard labor from now on. Verse 3, your nakedness shall be uncovered and your disgrace shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will spare no one. Isaiah speaking on God's behalf. I will take vengeance and I will spare no one. Our Redeemer, Isaiah says, the Lord of hosts is his name, is the Holy One of Israel. In other words, he has the power to do it and he will do it. Remember, this was a prophecy. Verse 5, sit in silence. And go into darkness. Notice some more of these parallels between what we find in Revelation and what we find here. Sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called the mistress of kingdoms, the prostitute of peoples. I was angry with my people, God says, referring to the ancient Israelites. I profaned my heritage. He, he, he desecrated it. I gave them into your hand. Speaking to the Babylonians, I gave my people into your hand. You showed them no mercy. On the aged, you made your yoke exceedingly heavy. In other words, you persecuted them to no end. Verse 7, you said, I shall be mistress forever. You said, I shall be mistress forever so that you did not lay these things to heart or remember their end. In other words, your arrogance and complacency clouded your thinking. Your thinking about the consequences of your sin. That's what indulging does. That's what dabbling does. It begins to cloud your thinking. It begins to, to diminish your resolve your devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you become weaker and weaker and weaker at resisting the irresistible draw into the tornado of the culture. Verse 8, Now therefore hear this, you lover of pleasures, luxury, who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. Hear this, God says. These two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day. Just like we saw in verse 8, Revelation 18. One day, suddenly, A, the loss of children, and B, widowhood, shall come upon you in full measure, full measure, in spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments, in spite of your overwhelming demonic influence. Verse 10, you felt secure in your wickedness, complacent. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray, and you said in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. But evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone, not be able to offer a sacrifice of forgiveness. And ruin shall come upon you suddenly, 
of which you know nothing. The parallels are unmistakable, aren't they? Intentionally so. From luxury, debauchery, and persecution to arrogance, complacency, and consequences. History is clear. It's happened before. And not only does Isaiah talk about it in other places, but it's reiterated by the prophet Jeremiah about 150 years after Isaiah, just before it all went down, saying in Jeremiah 51, flee from the midst of Babylon, as in, come out of her, come out of her. Let everyone save his life. Be not cut off in her punishment, her consequences. For this is the time of the Lord's vengeance, the repayment he is rendering her. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand, making all the earth drunken. The nations drank of her wine. Therefore, the nations went mad. Suddenly, Babylon has fallen and been broken. Wail for her. He's not talking about the Babylon of Revelation, the culture of the future. No, he's talking about the culture of the past. He's talking about the Babylon of ancient Mesopotamia, just like Isaiah did. But God uses the very same label in Revelation to recall the past and convince us of the future. Convince us in no uncertain terms that what happened then will happen later. Only later, it's going to be worse and it's going to be worldwide. Both the sin and the judgment. Worse and worldwide. History is clear. It's happened before. So whatever you do, decide right now. Decide right now. Right now in your heart as I speak, as the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Decide right now to separate yourself. Right now to get away and stay away. Because listen, listen, Babylon will be as evil as it gets, the consequences as grave as they get, and the temptations as strong as they get. And if you wait, it might very well be too late and probably will. If you wait thinking that you can separate yourself later on as Babylon continues to rise in its influence and its power and debauchery and all of the rest, if you think that you've got it under control, you're probably going to lose that battle. The attraction of debauchery and luxury is not going to wane. As Babylon rises, it's only going to get worse. And when the tribulation arrives, it's going to be nearly irresistible, especially so with the lurking deceit of demons. The lurking deceit of demons and the absence of all restraint. You think it's in your face now. You think you're solicited now. So decide right now and start right now. Can we just commit to that together, myself included? To decide right now and start right now instead of flirting around the edges of the world to make a hard break? Decide right now and start right now to make a hard break. No longer dabbling here and there. 
but getting out and staying out. Instead of dabbling in the darkness, walk in the light. Because if you don't do it now, if you don't do it now, you might lose your way when the darkness is even darker. Never underestimate the power of sin in your own life, in your own home, in your own neighborhood, six blocks or 60 blocks. And never underestimate the power of darkness in the whole world. Let's pray. God, forgive us for dabbling. Forgive us for dabbling. For taking part when we well know we shouldn't. For quenching and grieving your spirit. Forgive us, God, for rationalizing and maybe even living in denial of the culture and its effect on our lives. Forgive us of doubting what's to come. Help us, we pray, Lord. Oh, God, help us. Keep us from ourselves. Keep us from the culture. Help us to take this to heart and help us not take part. Help us to decide right now and hold fast. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.